I'm just gonna toss this out there to get us started. I've been told before that I have alligator arms. Anybody know what that means? I don't know if you know what that means or not. Uh, but when you think about alligator arms, they're short. There's nothing about them that makes you think that it's a compliment, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, they have short arms. I know I have, I've got regular sized arms, right? Okay, I'm not self-conscious uh, about this. I know I've got regular sized arms. So what does my father-in-law mean when he says I have alligator arms? I know he's in here somewhere listening to me. He says my arms are short and when it comes time to pay the bill, I can't ever reach my wallet in time, right? <laughs> Anybody know anybody like that? I'll be honest, I'm a little like that, okay? If we go out to eat, it's time to pay, and you're the first one to take out your credit card, I'm probably not gonna fight you. I'm just gonna assume that you're a generous person, and I wanna take that away from you. <laughs> Alligator arms may be a new term for you, um, but there's other words. There's other words, right? Like cheapskate. Penny pincher, tight wad, right? Have you ever been called those things? It's not good. I prefer frugal, right? Frugal is the word that I would choose to put there. I'll be real with you. I've, I've struggled for a long time to be a generous person. I don't know if it's the way that I was raised or, or what, but I've, I've struggled with that. My wife actually is amazing at this. She's helped me tremendously to be a more generous person in my life over the last several years. And today we're gonna talk about this generosity rule as we wrap up this stewardship series, Money Rules. And I don't know that generosity comes naturally to anyone. Maybe it does, maybe to you it does, but I'm not really sure. I've seen my kids struggle with this from time to time. Sometimes um, with kids, sometimes they share their things. It's few and far between, but sometimes they'll share their toys, they'll get along, they'll play nicely. Sometimes that happens. But the other 95% of the time, they fight and they argue and they get in this, and if you're a parent, you've seen this before, they have this attitude where it's like, well, if they have one, I want one, right? And you gotta deal with that entitlement and what that looks like. And so generosity has to be talked about, has to be taught on many levels. And as we talk about generosity today, I need you to tune in because this isn't just about money. This is about being a Christ Follower, Generosity has everything to do with following Jesus and it extends far beyond a donation or a check. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. If you got that with you or maybe you have your phone, you can pull that out. There's gonna be a lot of verses that we're gonna read today. It might be helpful to have in front of you. We'll be there in just a moment. There's a lot of parts in the Bible that talk about generosity. We focused on some of them throughout this series as we've talked about uh, the heart rule and the management rule and the savings rule because a part of all of those things as we talk about money, generosity comes up. You'll find generosity in all of those places as well. But today, we're gonna focus on a segment of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And we learn in these letters that Paul actually wrote them several times. Um, besides 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he had a couple other letters. We have a few of them in our Bible. But what becomes clear is that Paul really loved these believers that he penned this letter to in the first century. In fact, he helped establish the church in Corinth over about an 18 month stay in the city. And so he felt a deep sense of responsibility for them and their faith. And as a part of that responsibility, it fell within the lines of talking to them about generosity. And so I will tell you as a part of our responsibility as the pastors of this church, is for us to talk about generosity because there are a lot of things that depend on us following Christ in this way. So 
The question that I hope to answer for you today, which I think is important for us to see at the beginning, is this, is why should I be generous? You can come in here and we could talk about it, but if you don't walk out with an answer to this question, nothing's gonna change in your life. Why should I be generous? If you can leave here understanding the why behind your generosity, you'll be able to give more freely and you'll be able to experience life more purposefully. I want that for each of you because I've had to learn it for myself as well. So with all of that said, I wanna ask you to go ahead, if you're willing and able to stand with me as we read our scripture today. It's gonna be several verses, so you know, hang in there with me. We're gonna read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses six through 15. I'll be reading from the NLT, so in case you get lost, it'll be on the screen as well. Paul says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. All right, guys, thanks. You can be seated. You've now stood for about half of the message. <laughs> I know there's a lot of verses. We, we stand to honor God's word every week as a part of our service. There's a lot of things that are packed into these verses and we can't develop them all. And to be honest with you, we aren't gonna go verse by verse either. We're gonna, we're gonna catch on to a few of the themes that Paul points out to these believers. And remember, above all of these things, what we're trying to answer for you today is this. Why should I be generous? So here's the first thing I want you to see is that generosity began with God. It makes zero sense to talk about generosity from our standpoint, standpoint if we don't understand that generosity first started with God. And when we remember that, it shapes how we view generosity. Look again at what Paul says in verse 10. He says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And so all of these things show us and point out to us that, that, that he is the one who did this first. He, he provides, he gives. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, and actually we've touched on this a few different times, is this truth. Everything belongs to God anyway, right? It, it's, it's all his. And when we remember that, that everything belongs to him, that he provides what we need, right? He says seed for the farmer and, and bread to eat. Um, it, it, it shapes our thoughts a little bit differently. Now this is hard for us. This is hard for me to remember this truth because it doesn't feel tangible, right? This is our stuff. We live with this stuff. We make the money, we spend it. But the truth that we recognize all throughout scripture is that it's his and he has been 
generous with us. And so I think it's easy for us to lose sight of this truth that it's all his and we're just here on earth experiencing it, enjoying it. Now, my kids are um, in kindergarten and first grade. My wife is a teacher and so they travel to school together. They ride with her. My wife works about 30 minutes away from our home and so every day they travel 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. It's a lot of driving. And so as a part of that, we decided, hey, we're, let's buy a tablet so the kids have <clears throat> something to play or something to watch to help pass the time every single day as they do that. And we were very intentional when we did this that we said when we bought this, this was dad's tablet, okay? This was dad's tablet. And we wanted them to understand that. And the only problem is, and the truth is, it is mine. I bought it, right? I bought it with my money. It's my tablet. But I don't ever have it. It's not with me. It's with them. And so they lose sight of this a lot of times. In fact, my son will often say, hey, have you seen my tablet? Where's my tablet? And we have to step in and say, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, no. That's not your tablet. That's that's mine. It's it's mine. They, They lose sight of this and we have to step in. The same is true with us. We are enjoying God's resources that he generously lets us experience. We have to wrap our minds around this. So before we talk about being generous with other people, with others, please, let's remember that he is generous with us. That's the reason that we care for each other. In fact, the apostle John said it like this. He says, we love each other because he first loved us. It starts with him. That's the foundational truth we have to understand. It starts with him. And because he's generous with us, we are generous with others. In fact, choosing not to be generous leaves you in a very dangerous place. Author and pastor J.D. Greer said it like this. There is no gospel without generosity. If you are not generous, you've never really experienced the gospel. If you feel guilty about how little generosity you show, you don't understand the gospel. Okay, that's a, that's a strong and powerful statement. Generosity is connected to the gospel. In fact, uh, the greatest gift of generosity came from God himself in Christ Jesus. We know this, church. We, we know this truth, right? That, that all of us, hang with me for a second, all of us, we were dead and hopeless in our sin. Without God stepping in and doing something for you, you were on a one-way ticket to condemnation. We, we know this truth, but the gospel truth that we all celebrate is that God did something, right? We talked about this communion. God did something. More notably, he gave something, something of value, something that cost him, something that we all needed. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter six. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we deserve death, but we don't get death, we get life. How? A gift. A gift, right? In the Greek, which is the original language the New Testament was written in, this this term free gift is one word, it's charisma. It means this, a gift of grace, a favor which one receives without any merit of its own. Church, we can't ever forget this. You didn't earn it. You you don't deserve it. It was generously given to you. And the gift is this. It is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the free gift. Without it, we don't have anything. With it, everything changes. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter eight, he says, now because of Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. Now listen to me. 
I will make the assumption, I will always make the assumption that there is someone in this room that has never really heard or understood the gospel, how it's supposed to be communicated. And so this is it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. You deserve separation from God because of your sin. All of us deserve separation from God because of our sin, but he is generous with you. And he gives you a gift through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And now because of that, you can have life. That's the truth that we hang on to. That's why we celebrate. That's why we sing. It's amazing. That should change your life and that will change your life. And today, I want to encourage you, if you've never experienced a relationship with God for any number of reasons, whatever it is, whatever circumstance you've been dealt, I'm here to tell you that the generosity of God is still available to you. It's not gone. The gift is still yours today. You can take it. You can accept the the, the gift that God has given to you by responding to him. One of the greatest joys of my work, uh, what I get to do with students is watching students get this. Watching them understand that God loves them, that God forgives them, that they can live a life of purpose, that God died for their sins and they turn their life over to him. You can experience the generosity of God through the gospel today if you never have before. And I'll tell you, I'll be sitting in those seats right here when the service ends. I'll be happy to talk with you about it. But here's the deal. If you've been a Christian for a while and you haven't undertaken the responsibility of generosity because of God's generosity, you're not getting it. We're not seeing the whole picture. You're living a Christian life that takes all the good things that God has lavished on you, his love and his grace and his mercy, and you have neglected to share the hope and the love of Christ with a dying and desperate world that needs him. This is not how generosity works. This is not how grace works. You don't get to take it and not give it. This is what we see through all throughout scripture. Generosity starts with God. That's why we give of our resources. It helps people in this city and throughout the world to know Christ and God was the first one to help. He was the first one to step in. But here's what I want you to see as well because Paul points out something else we all need to see is that generosity flows from the heart. It's one thing to talk about generosity. It's another thing to be forced to be generous, okay? Now I've lived in the latter before, like giving because I feel like I'm supposed to. It's not fun. Actually, it's not enjoyable. It doesn't last either. We have to find a place where we're giving from our heart. While it's true, you are supposed to give. That is not the reason why you give. Paul said this in verse seven. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So I'm not up here to convince you out of pressure to give. Because generosity should, it should flow from your heart. It should be something that that comes from the inside of you to give and to help. Now, often that comes out in the holiday season, right? Maybe you find yourself being a little bit more generous over Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas, but what would it look like for you is if this is who you were all year long? Like this is who you truly were. Now, can I pause for a second and, and, and remind you of something? A few moments, moments ago, we, we talked about giving and we talked about change for a dollar and then uh, we all clapped, right? And if you're new around here, you don't understand. It was like, sometimes that could be weird. Like, what are we doing? We're clapping for money or, or, you know, but that's not why we're clapping. We're clapping because we are cheerful when we give. We are cheerful when we give. Now, some of us are, not everybody claps, okay? You might want to start paying attention around you who's not being cheerful, but... <laughs> 
you know, I, I think about it like this. Have you ever been in the holiday season where um, you were, had to give a gift to somebody you didn't really want to, right? You're part of a gift exchange or something like that. You're like, oh man, I gotta buy them a gift. And so you get them a gift card, right? Because, you know, you don't really care. Well, they come from your heart, okay? Now, don't be offended if you find yourself with a gift card around Christmas, okay? But maybe sometimes we do that because it doesn't really come from our heart. When we give from our heart, we give out of a, a different place out of, that's not out of, Obligation. We give out of joy. We recognize that it's not just a sacrifice. It's a gift we are giving and we are giving cheerfully. Now, as Paul writes this, this word cheerful that he uses in the Greek is this word hilaros. And it means this, describing someone who is cheerfully ready to act because they are already approving, already persuaded. I mean, think about that for a second. Already approving or already Persuaded also means merry. Like when you say Merry Christmas, it's the same type of word. Why would someone be already persuaded to give? Why would I not have to persuade you to give or to be generous? It's because of what Christ has done for you. That's what makes you already persuaded, already approving, because you are in a place where you want to give as well. It's in his great mercy for us that we also give back to him and to his church, and it flows from our heart naturally. I'll tell you, my son is about to finish up his first season of playing basketball, and uh, he's five years old. I don't think he likes basketball, okay? Uh, which is really unfortunate because I love basketball and I want my kids to as well. It's one of my dreams, but I don't think he loves the sport. He's just not there yet. He still loves Legos and cartoons, which is fine. He's five. He's five. I understand. But recently I was trying to help him and I was sitting on the bench and I was talking to him, uh, trying to get him to be a little bit more successful on the court. Cause he, he's one of the kids, he just looks lost out there. Like he's got no idea what he's doing. And I want him to be good. I really do. I want him to be good. He doesn't really care to be good. He just wants to have fun, which again, he's five. I understand that, okay? Um, anyways, I told him, I said, I said, I don't care if you shoot it. I don't care if you score. Uh, or any of those things, I just want you to play good defense. Like that's the baseline, that's the foundation. Everybody can do that. Just play good defense, okay? So there's one quarter left. And I said, come on, Dawson, just one quarter, just play good defense. So I did what any good dad would do in that moment. I bribed him, I bribed him, okay? Now don't judge me because I've been a coach long enough. I know that parents are doing this all the time. They're bribing their kids. I was coaching one girl and I was like, you, you've done really good today. You've made three baskets. She said, yeah, my dad said I can get $5 for every basket I make. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I bribed him. I said, Dawson, if you play good defense this quarter after the game, I'll take you to go get a milkshake, all right? And his eyes lit up and all of a sudden he loved basketball, okay? This next quarter, he went out, started playing defense. He was sticking next to his man. It was awesome. The only problem he played defense on both sides of the court. <laughs> Whether his team was on offense or on defense, he was sticking to his man and he didn't leave him. It was great because he was trying. Why did he play good defense, right? Because he loves basketball? Because he loves defense? Because he wanted to make his dad proud? No. The kid wanted a milkshake, right? That's what he wanted. That's where his heart was. True generosity flows from the heart, not from any other motivation, not from some belief that you'll be blessed if you bless others, not some thought that you'll feel good if you give to others. True generosity flows from a heart that has experienced the generous love of Christ and it wants to give of their resources to help others to experience the same. You know, there's a story about Jesus as he's watching people put 
uh, collections into the box at the temple. And the story goes that a bunch of wealthy people came and they started dropping a lot of money into the box and everybody saw it and it was kind of a big deal. And then a poor widow comes up and she just drops in two small coins. And in that moment, as Jesus saw this, he turned to his disciples and he wanted to teach them something. This is what he said. He says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Why did Jesus point out her gift? Why did he make this a a teaching moment? It's because it came from her heart. It came from her heart. It flowed out of her heart. It didn't come out of discretionary money that wouldn't be missed. She gave from her heart. And maybe the prayer that you need to pray today is that God would shape your heart to be more generous. Maybe that's where we need to start. I've had to pray that prayer before as well. I'm still praying that prayer. I'm still trying to make that entirely true of me. Maybe you should pray that prayer. God, shape my heart to be more generous. There's too much at stake for us to not be generous. And that's what I wanna talk to you about next. It's that generosity advances the kingdom. There's really no better way to talk about generosity than sharing about what it does in this world. In fact, as Paul wrote this, he wanted these believers to understand what would happen when they gave. And so he says this in verses 12 and 13. He says, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God as a result of your ministry. They will give glory to God. So needs would be met and God would be glorified. That's what Paul points out. It's important that that Paul reminded them what would happen, the encouragement, what would happen when they gave. It's also important to recognize that there was a need that needed to be met. It says the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. And why does he say that? It's because of the severe persecution that was happening at that time locally in Jerusalem to Christians. It was at an all-time high. Their needs were high because of the persecution. Remember, Jerusalem was like, pretty much like the center hub at this time for Christianity. This is where it started and it kind of spread out from there. And so Paul points this out, that there were needs of these persecuted Christians that they needed to meet. And as I was reading this and kind of studying through this, it reminded me of something like, honestly, I'm a little bit passionate about because there are a lot of organizations that help Christians who are persecuted. Two of the most prominent are these. They're the ones that I'm familiar with. They're Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors. You can look them up on social media. You can find them online. They devote their entire organization to meeting the needs of Christians who are persecuted worldwide. In fact, what we learn is that one in eight Christians worldwide, globally, are persecuted on some level because of their faith. Let me say that again. One in eight Christians worldwide are persecuted on some level because of what they believe. That's hard for us to wrap our mind around, right? Because when we live life, we don't see that. We don't feel persecution as much. Globally, one in eight Christians are persecuted because of their faith. And I want to encourage you to think about a way that you could be involved in at least praying at the very basic level, praying alongside these organizations for brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted. It's a part of our responsibility as well. To Paul, these were co-workers in the gospel. His plea wasn't just to give because they were Christians. 
but rather to help them because they were advancing Christianity. They were at the center, right? They were at the center hub of Christianity. And so without them doing what they were doing, the gospel wouldn't be spread as it needed to at this important time and place. And so their generosity to these gospel spreaders was essential. It was so important. They would change lives. The believers in Corinth would change lives when they were generous with their resources for the gospel. And church, here's what I wanna end with. I want you to understand that's exactly what takes place when you give to this church. It advances the kingdom of God. Mount Pleasant, and when I say that, I mean us collectively as a church. We, we support eight different organizations in Indianapolis or south of there that are involved in everything from pregnancy matters to helping shelter the homeless. We have our hands every single day in the humanitarian work of our community. Across from that, we have um, seven major global mission partners across the globe from, uh, from Mexico to Cuba to Poland, Austria, Egypt, India, and China that, that are doing the work of spreading the gospel. In fact, in many of these places, we are the major U.S. supporter, and without your involvement and your investment, they wouldn't be able to do ministry like they are today, sharing the gospel with those who need it the most. When you give, we all collectively together help serve our mission, which is to change the world for Christ. One family, sorry, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. In 2022, so far, we've had 69 people go on a global mission trip. That's not a lot considering how many people come here to worship for a weekend service. 69 people. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm not telling you that you have to do that. Although if something's stirring inside of you, I want you to know we have seven, at least seven different trips next year that are already planned that you can be a part of this. Two to Juarez, two to Poland, Dominican Republic, Honduras, and Cuba. But what I am telling you and would encourage you with is this. Even if you don't go do ministry at these places, you do ministry with these places by supporting them. On top of the global impact that we're making and the local outreach that, are do, that we do, our church is involved in our, our impact ministries at, at Fairfax and at Bethany and the Old South Side, even at the other end of our parking lot at the impact Center, helping people to gather together, helping to pastor to them in their community, to reach new people to Jesus. And I need to remind you of this, doesn't happen without you. Doesn't happen without your generosity. All the ministry that happens here, all the ministry that happens here that you get to enjoy and be a part of, and some of that I'm most partial to, are children's and student ministries, which are so vital to the health and the longevity of the church and raising up new leaders, it all has needs and all is supported by you, by us, by generosity. Hear this, we are a debt-free church. We are a debt-free church. That means you aren't paying an interest fee on a loan. You are advancing the kingdom of God every time that you give a gift. It all goes to advancing the kingdom. And so friends, what I'm trying to tell you is this, is we can't afford to have alligator arms or be penny pinchers when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God. There's too much at stake. There's too many names. There's too many kids. There's too many needs that the church needs to step in and to meet to help the name of Jesus be known to people in our community and throughout the world who need to know him. Can you get behind that? 
There was a responsibility for all of us who have the ability to be generous to do it. It is on us and we don't take it lightly. We don't shy away from talking about giving because we believe that giving helps spread the gospel. And you get to be a part of that, even if your boots aren't on the ground every day. That's why Paul wanted the church in Corinth to get behind generosity. He wanted them to understand that. It's also why he told Timothy to command his churches in this way. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. And let's just pause for a second to get us all on the same page. I told our high school kids this a few weeks ago to help them understand this. Because when we see the word rich, um, if you're like me, don't often feel like that's me. He's not talking about me. Maybe he is talking about you. And so I did some research and, and recognized that um, if you have a net worth, right? And we don't know what a net worth is. You take all your money in the bank and all your resources, everything that has value, you take the value of it and subtract your debt. That's your net worth. If you have a net worth of just over $93,000, you're in the top 10% richest people in the world. $93,000 of a net worth, you're top 10% richest people in the world. If you have $4,000 to your name in some way, shape or fashion, you're in the top half richest people in the world. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Be generous, give, share, help. That's the challenge. And it is a challenge because it's not always easy to part with your stuff. It's hard, but when you remember the generosity that God has first shown you and your sin and what he sacrificed through Jesus, and you're compelled out of your heart to advance the gospel, you'll give, you will. I'll say it like this. I want you to want to be generous. Last week, we handed out these uh, commitment cards that we ask everybody to consider, okay? Um, th there's nothing special or spiritual about the card itself. It's a way for you to consider to commit to a level of generosity that your local church depends on to do the work in the community throughout the world that we've been called to do. Many of you have already turned these in. There's little baskets outside each of these doors that you can do it. And Pastor Chris wants me to make sure that you understand the expectation and our prayerful hope is that everybody who's a member and a regular attender here will fill these out and commit to some level of generosity, whether it's uh, for the very first time. So I mean, I need to start giving at some some level, or I need to be getting, giving as a, a tithe, or I want to step up my game and to advance the kingdom in a greater way. This is all of our responsibility. But I want to leave you with this statement that can tie this all together. It's this, we sacrifice our money because the love of God compels us to share the gospel with all people. You want to know why you're generous? This is why. This is why you sacrifice. Because the love of God compels you to share the gospel with all people. And if we all did this, we'd change our community, we'd change the world. In fact, we're already part of doing that in different little pockets. We are doing that. But imagine, imagine if we all did this. Like, like everyone, and not just some of us, but 
all of us took on this responsibility. We would make such a massive dent in the work that needs to be done for Christ in this world. It would be incredible. You can make a difference. One week before Jesus died, he was in the house of Lazarus for a meal and Mary was there and she came up to Jesus and she poured out a 12 ounce bottle of perfume on Jesus's feet. And then she proceeded to take her hair and wipe Jesus's feet with her perfume. It was kind of a bizarre scene. In fact, Judas, who was there, recognized this and was a little distraught and kind of says, this was a waste. That was a waste because that perfume could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor, which seems logical and actually a noble thing to consider. But Jesus responded with this. He says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She didn't pass up on the moment to worship and to honor Jesus. And it reminds me of this truth. He wants your heart first. He wants your heart first. The amount, what will happen with it, he's, he's gonna take care of that. Just remember the boy with the fish and the loaves. He's going to take care of that. He wants your devotion to him. And Mary showed that. The woman with the two coins showed that. You can and should devote yourself to him as you give generously toward his kingdom. Can you do that? Can you commit to advancing God's work in this world by sacrificing a bit of your wealth to show the love of Christ to people who need to experience the gospel? And can you do it with joy? My wife and I, when we got married, we made the commitment to give to our local church and uh, it's automatic. It happens every month, whether we think about it or not. It is automatic. We are never tempted not to give because of a season that we're in. It goes automatically. And the reason that we made that decision is because that the love that God has shown us compels us. It compels us to support his mission and his work here on this earth. We want to contribute to the church that Christ said would be the hope of the world. I want that same thing for you as well. Jesus wants your devotion, but here's the thing. It's always gonna be your choice. It's always going to be your choice what you do with your money. The question is, what will you choose? Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful for what you've done for us and for Jesus. We cannot stand up here or sit in here and talk and think about being generous and giving of money or resources or anything else without first recognizing the great love that you have for us. Because of Jesus, every single one of us in this space today has the opportunity to have our sins wiped away and to stand before you blameless and perfect at our judgment because of Jesus. You've given the greatest sacrifice. You are the most generous Lord. Help us shape our hearts today to be the type of people that don't just receive your grace, but give your grace. And we do that with our love. We do it with our time. We do it with our energy and we do it with our resources. We put our, we put our money where our mouth is. Help us, Lord, to be generous, to advance your work here on earth. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. I pray 
that our devotion to today would be to you and to you alone, that it would not be divided among anything else, that you are first and our money and our resources are our first fruits go to you, Lord. As our prayer and our hope, I pray that you would shape our hearts to be more like that. Be with us as we respond to you this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen.